Welcome to The Jewelry District, a podcast by JCK. Today, Rob Bates and Victoria Gamalski talk about their impressions of the JCK show. Then you'll hear some attendee interviews and presentation clips, all recorded live from the show floor. Hey everyone, welcome to the Jewelry District. This is Victoria Gamelski, Editor-in-Chief of JCK and jckonline.com. I'm here back home in LA and I'm with... Rob Bates, News Director of JCK and jckonline.com. And I'm back in uh, New York City. I mean, I just got back from Vegas yesterday. So mind you, that was one solid week in Las Vegas, which was, you know, kind of bewildering on any level in any year, but extra bewildering in 2021 after not having anything of the sort for more or less two years. So I'm not recovered yet. I don't know if you are. You got back on like Sunday night, right? I'm still, I'm I'm getting there. But yeah, I got there late Sunday night and uh, I'm trying my best to recover. Let's put it that way. For those of you who weren't there, you know, the show, the series of shows kicked off on Tuesday, August 24th. That was when Luxury opened. Then JCK Las Vegas opened to all buyers on Friday, August 27th. And then all the shows. And then mind you, Couture was ongoing at the Wynn across the street from the Sands Expo in Venetian. That went from the 24th to the 26th. And then everything, all the shows ended by Monday, August 30th. So it was a stretch like a typical year other than and the fact that it was in August. Um, and boy, did I feel that it was in August. I had dinner outside one night, literally 100 degrees. It was 108 during the day. During the day, and it was 100 at night. And I felt like every time the breeze picked up, I was like, there was a dragon breathing down on me. It was utterly, everything in my bag melted. I really, it was hard to like stay in my skin. Apparently this was a all-time high record, but it is common to have triple-digit temperatures. Uh, this was in July. They tied their all-time high temperature at 117 degrees so at least it wasn't 117 we got a slight break most people aren't outside when they're in vegas really they're inside and the ac is powerful and robust but i was really struck by how many people were on the casinos floor and playing games drinking at the bars i mean the restaurants not seem to be suffering did that surprise you I mean, it's been two years, so you kind of forget, but it really, the vibe did not seem on the show floor and off the show floor, did not seem all that different. Obviously, there were masks, but if you took away the masks, you'd say, okay, this is like a regular Vegas time. You couldn't get restaurants, you couldn't get reservations in certain restaurants, certain hotels were booked. There was a lot of crowds, a lot of, uh, a lot of goings on. So just to segue to the show itself, you know, we walked around towards the end and I walked around towards the end on Sunday and Monday, just asking people, hey, how was your show? You don't always get a good sense of that at the beginning, even though sometimes with luxury exhibitors, they do get a rush at the very beginning. Many, many people, at least three, four, five, and then other people who'd reported back very similar comments said this was their best show ever, ever. Yes, ever in history. You know, it's interesting. So both you and I have been to many, many shows. And there's certain things that people tend to say every year that those who were here were here to buy and not a lot of tire kickers, right? You hear that all the time. You know, I'm not saying it's not true in other years, but this year it was definitely true because chances are if you were traveling, you were doing it deliberately and with a purpose. It's just not the time to go to Vegas for fun. Given the pandemic, if they were there, chances are they really were there to buy. 
Very much so. Even though there are plenty of people in Vegas seemingly just to have fun, if the packed casino floor was any indication. You're right. For the show, if you didn't have business there and you didn't have inventory you desperately needed to stack up on, you know, in advance of the holiday, I don't see why you would have left your store or complicated things for your family. And the crowds seemed pretty good. I mean, there were fewer exhibitors. I think we saw a lot of international exhibitors clearly could not make it due to travel restrictions, but there was still very much a buzz. I never felt like, wow, this show is dead or there are few people. It felt quite familiar and quite normal. And the masks, you know, I liked having the mask. It made me feel safer in the space and nobody really complained. I was actually struck by how well people maintain their masks and how few lax sort of mask wearing people I saw. I thought people were generally very respectful of the mask mandate and it just didn't seem like a big deal. People wanted to be safe, but they also wanted to get together and they wanted to see each other. And it's definitely not the same seeing somebody with a mask on, but it's better than Zoom with the whole face. I'll tell you that. It's just a different energy and a different feeling that you get when somebody's standing next to you. 100% agreed. I think in all this talk of how the trade and how consumers and society in general has just become more digital and our acceleration of digital applications and how much COVID accelerated all that. I think this show reaffirmed to me something we always hoped was true, but maybe weren't quite sure, which is that there is great value to face-to-face. There is great importance, especially to an industry that A, is as intimate and personal and friendly as ours, but also to an industry that needs to see things in person, to needs to feel the heft of a gold ring in their hand, needs to see how a necklace might sit on a collar. Face-to-face is really essential. And I think that's a really nice takeaway about all that we've experienced, that we can get through it. We can still do it. Assuming, you know, I I feel pretty safe. I've been taking my COVID tests every day since I got back or even since I was there. And I think for the most part, people who were careful and came into it prepared are probably pretty glad they went. If there hadn't been this Delta variant, I think it would have been even more jamming. I mean, I think it would have been crazy given how well it did with this variant out there, because I think there really is pent up demand to see people. It's different and people were excited and it wasn't the free spirited maskless. I remember you talking about dancing on tables. We didn't, we didn't have that, unfortunately, this year. But I think if this was any indication, when we are ready, it's going to be crazy. It's going to be wild because I think people really enjoy this and really want this. You can have a Apple FaceTime, but it isn't the same as regular FaceTime. It was really nice. I mean, I'm shattered after a week of walking and talking to a degree I haven't done for a long time, but I am very happy I went. I had mostly just really nice dinners. I ate very well. I saw some very good friends and I felt quite proud of myself and the people around me. I think we all felt like we made it. You know, we managed through this difficult time. We were able to celebrate in person, clink our glasses, look at each other. It felt very rewarding, I must say. It felt very rewarding. So kudos to the JCK team, the events team at RX, Reed, Global. Kudos to all the exhibitors who made it and all the buyers and all the other people who made this show really a very special show for many, many reasons. 
But when we did walk around, we talked to lots and lots of people. We didn't always have an audio recorder in their face, but we did have a few conversations with people that we wanted to record just so you could hear out in the audience what their experience was like. It was actually very uniformly positive. Maybe their expectations were a little lower or just maybe they wanted to come in with zero expectations because it's hard to predict these things. But I think everybody was generally very pleased. And so when you hear these clips of people we spoke to, you'll get a sense of that in their, in their voices. I am now in the Gems Pavilion, which is nice. It's on level three. It's uh, not super busy, but people are here. And I'm with an old friend, Douglas Mays, U.S. Sales Director for Wild and Pesh Cutters Lapidaries, based out of right outside of the place to get cut stones. The little sister city is called Kirschweiler, Germany, which is exactly five minutes north of Oberstein. So same region, same idea, same people. Five minutes north. Yes, I have heard of the Kirschweiler. I've heard of it. I didn't realize it was that close. Anyways, we usually see Douglas in Tucson, of course, because that's where we go for our colored stones. But I wanted to hear, what's the shoving like? What What is your take on business, on the vibe? I, I think people are extremely excited to be back in business again. I think it's great. Day one and two were excellent, and now it's getting a little quiet. Although yesterday I thought there was no one here, and I walked upstairs to luxury and saw it was completely packed. Like, completely packed. So I think everyone's really excited to see people again in person and to be able to stand in a booth and talk to someone and hang out a little bit. It's been amazing, truly amazing. And what are people, in terms of stones, anything in particular that people are gravitating to color-wise, uh, variety-wise? Always the same, top, top, top. If it's a really clean top gem, it sells. Otherwise, it doesn't do anything. The lower market's gone, but the top stones are, you know, if it's if it's a really fine, beautiful thing, it sells. And you guys, of course, are known for those top stones. And is there anything, like a real showpiece here at the show or anything special that you uh, would like to show us? We always get a kick out of your beautiful color. And I'll show you a suite of stones that we did oh, that's making God. an incredible bracelet. So this is, these are all cabochon tourmalines, and they are different sizes, different shades. 151 stones, 350 carats, and would make a tremendous bangle bracelet cuff. I wish you all could see this because it really is like a bunch of little sugar loaf pink gorgeous. stones, gorgeous stones just draped across my, my left hand right now, waiting to be set in sort of a silky gold bracelet of sorts. Perfect. That would be incredible. Here with Eddie Levion. Going to check out their 22 trend forecast. This is exciting. The big stories in our trends are that we believe there are certain sentiments, feelings, and characteristics in people that are driving the trends in the jewelry. And the biggest feelings are positivity, love, and resilience are going to drive the major stories of the trends. But the other characteristics include authenticity, wisdom, obsession, and statement. So for example, for positivity, the storyline is that, hey, we all realize that we need to be optimistic. We need to have a positive outlook to be able to get through the challenging times. And the symbol of positivity is the sun and sunshine. So the way that we are predicting it, the sunshine and the big bright yellow color of it will translate into the trends of jewelry with the sunny yellow diamonds, the honey gold, the cinnamon citrine, and the golden sapphires. 
So as you can see, we've launched collections in each of them, innovating in those categories. For example, with the honey gold, we tied to things like the honeybees and uh, the butterflies and just using the honey gold to show a lot of nice polished gold to bring that about. Are you surprised that it's busy? I mean, did you have a feeling it would You know what? We had an internal debate when the mask mandate came out and, uh, you know, there was a sentiment that maybe people will be canceling, maybe they'll back out. And some of the customers did cancel. And for those, you know, we sent salesmen to go see them. But many people did come and those who came are serious and they're looking to buy. So we've had strong support from the retailers and the people who came here. I am here, uh, again, still on the luxury show floor at Greenland Ruby with my dear friend and longtime colleague of sorts in, in different companies, but she has been Taylor Henning. She is the CCO, Chief Communications Officer for Greenland Ruby. Sorry, I take that back, Chief Commercial Officer for Greenland Ruby. Hi, Haley. Hi, Victoria. Always good to see you. Thanks for stopping by. Yeah, pleasure, pleasure. Well, tell us a little bit about what you're doing here and what kind of conversations you've had with retailers about Greenland Ruby. We are here in Las Vegas, happy to be back, happy to run into old uh, friends and colleagues in the industry. And of course, we're talking about the rubies and pink sapphires from Greenland. We have been commercially mining these gemstones for the last few years, as you already know, and introducing them into the marketplace as a new and responsible source of gem quality ruby and pink sapphire. Each gem tracked and traced from the mine site in Greenland into the hands of the designer, the manufacturer, the retailer, the jewelry uh, wholesaler, and of course each gem coming with a certificate of origin. That tells that story. Well, so I'm sitting here and there's a big display screen. They're showing a ruby, a pear-shaped ruby, 6.16 carats, pinkish red, heated, and there's a little video that's looping around and you can really see it really pretty remarkably well, you know, in a way better than I think you could see it in your hand because it's just bigger on the screen. Because I think that is probably one of the things they worry about is, am I seeing the actual color? And actually, look, you know, it is, as, as we all know, our industry is somewhat conservative. But even, you know, this morning I was in the presentation in Martin Rappaport's breakfast and, you know, he talks a bit about the digitalization of our industry. I mean, it is here, it's not going anywhere. And like all the technology that we're dealing with, these are things that we are becoming more and more familiar with and that this is the way our industry is going to operate. So as you know, years ago, people were saying, oh my God, I'd never buy jewelry online. This is never gonna work. Well, you know, here we are. We are certainly very much in a digital age and yeah, that's the way we do it. And just to switch to your experience at the show, obviously this has been a different show. What's your take? What's your sense of the vibe and kind of what it's like to be here at this complicated time? Yeah, well, complicated time is certainly an understatement, but I've personally really enjoyed being here. I think everybody that has made the effort and sort of braved their face masks and their air travel to be here is really feels similar to how I do. You know, we're super excited to be with our industry friends and colleagues again. We're super excited to be putting ourselves out there again. You know, the show's really taking all precautions very seriously. We're wearing masks. Everybody's wearing masks. And yeah, we're just really excited to be back. Amen. All right. Well, thank you so much, Haley. Always a pleasure to see you. And it was fun to have dinner last night. Well, thank you so much. And thanks always for your support. We're here with an old friend, JCK, and an old friend of mine, John Kennedy, president, longtime president of the Jewelers. 
Security Alliance. What number show is this for you? This is my 30th show in person. That's amazing. So you've, you've been to every one. I've been to every show. And this is obviously probably the weirdest show you've been to, probably, or the most unusual. It is certainly the most unusual. You know, it had to be rescheduled. But I think that it's amazing that the crowds on the show floor are very surprising, very large crowds on the show floor. You know, I wander around and I talk to exhibitors, big exhibitors sometimes, and they tell me this is the best show they've ever had, like anywhere. I mean, there's less competition, there's fewer booths, but people are here to buy and there's pent-up demand. That's amazing. You know, as a security person, what are you noticing about mask protocols and stuff like that? I mean, do you think it's pretty safe for people? I mean, everybody's wearing a mask. I mean, everybody. Even on the casino floor, everybody's wearing a mask. Even the drunks on the casino floor are wearing a mask. So it's as safe as, uh, as at home, basically. I mean, the, the difference between Clark County and New York City, for example, is minuscule. It's a little bit more here, but not much. So you're, you're happy you came? I'm happy I came. I wouldn't miss it. I am here on the luxury show floor with Rebecca Forster. She's president of Alrosa USA. Of course, Alrosa, most of you will know, is the Russian diamond mining company. It's kind of cool because you have this booth here that is dark apart from the UV light. So you walk in and you see these diamonds that are aglow they're all blue and and honestly the marketing materials you have around here also highlight some of the really interesting glow there's an otherworldliness to it which is cool how have people reacted have you had a lot of people wander in or what are people asking you what are, what are you hearing i guess yeah so i think people are definitely um stopping because of the unique look of the booth we tried to create the wow factor that we want retailers to understand they can recreate in their own store that is sure to get their customers to ask more about it and to want to know what's happening with these natural diamonds. Why do they look like this? So we've had a great show. We've got tremendous interest. We've closed a lot of retail accounts and we think that, you know, we have a brand new wonderful story to bring to the consumer that will add a, a new level of excitement about learning about natural diamonds and the wonderful sort of hidden secrets that they have and certainly this luminous glow that comes out of these beautiful diamonds that we mine from El Rosa have this hidden secret that we call follow your inner light. I love it. Like I said, they've got these marketing materials all over and really nice typeface, really nice presentation. In terms of sales you know we keep hearing about how well the jewelry business is doing and that the story seems to be that it's discretionary spending that isn't being directed towards travel or dining out as much is that really it or do you think there's something else going on to explain why jewelry sales especially diamond sales seem to be just going bonkers at the moment so you know I was not that surprised to see this effect because I remember 2008 when we had a financial crisis and a similar situation happened it seems I think when the world kind of falls apart and you start reevaluating what's going on, jewelry becomes a little bit more top of mind as an item that has that emotional connection. And also, when you get a piece of jewelry or you buy a piece of jewelry, it sort of says, you know, I'm okay, I'm safe, I can afford this, I can do this, life is going to be okay. And I think in this particular time with the pandemic, which has been really extreme, the emotional connection to jewelry and diamonds came back. People felt that it was a good purchase because it also allows for legacy. And certainly because we weren't going out and looking to show off that much with branded shoes and other kinds of things, it sort of became more top of mind. And now the challenge for the industry 
is how do we take that growth that we've achieved and keep that market share and not let it slip back to other categories of luxury. I'm very encouraged because I see it sustaining itself quite a bit. And I think that we've, for the jewelry industry, in the midst of a terrible time, it allowed us to really take a leadership position in luxury. And it's very exciting. And now the challenge is how do we keep that? So, Rob, you wrote one big story, and it was one of the few big events. The show, there were a number of keynote breakfast presentations. You could watch them from your room, which I did to a couple because they were streamed in right to my room. But I did make it down to the breakfast for the De Beers keynote presentation midweek. It, it was interesting, and I did capture some audio from there. You wrote the story for that. What was your take on what they introduced? Well, it's very interesting that for a long time, they've felt that their name, the De Beers name, was an asset because all the advertising they did, a lot of it did mention De Beers, right? And just because they've been around so long and are so associated with diamonds, they've always felt that De Beers is an iconic name and that the name has value on a consumer level. So now they're really, as I said, they're going all in as far as promoting their name. Their fourth quarter marketing campaign is all going to be about the De Beers name, which is now on a retail chain and an e-commerce platform. It's also on Forevermark. Forevermark is now called De Beers Forevermark. They're also introducing a tracking system so that people can sell diamonds as coming from De Beers and one aspect of that is they're going to talk a little bit more about what their company does as far as contributions to producer countries. They're giving out 500,000 um, doses of COVID vaccine to their producer countries. And they have this new campaign with National Geographic to preserve the Akavango Delta. So they're doing some interesting things. The question is, is there really juice in the De Beers name and will it matter to consumers? But they're all in and they're behind it. De Beers wants to make itself into a lot more of a brand and we'll we'll just have to see how that works. Yeah, I mean, I, I sat through a, both the keynote presentation where they talked about these new initiatives and specifically this drive to become a purpose-led brand or what that means and why, I guess, why they are going down this road. And then I also had dinner with Stephen Lucier, who is the executive vice president of De Beers, along with David Prager, chief brand officer, who were the two on stage at the presentation. I also had dinner with him that night. The thing that struck me that I remember from the way he introduced his interest in this new purpose-led thinking is that he was reading an article in The Telegraph in the UK, and it was an article about electric vehicles and how owners of electric vehicles would now be able to get green license plates for their cars. And he talked about how when he was reading that, his initial thought was, wow, that's cool. I, I want a green license plate. And then a few minutes later, he returned to that idea and he thought, wait a minute, why do I think that's cool? Why do I want a green license plate? I know I have an electric car. Well, clearly it's because I want other people to know I have an electric car. 
are. And he began talking about this idea of the new status. And the new status is about our consciousness and our commitment to the planet and to people and sustainability and how these ideals are becoming new status symbols for people in a way that we didn't see even five or 10 years ago. And that led him down this road. And part of that thinking is now what's responsible for this code of origin program where they have the ability to trace back to these diamonds are mined by De Beers. They also announced a new initiative with National Geographic in the Okavango Delta in Botswana right before the show. And all that he talks about in the clip you're going to hear from the event, the keynote. And I thought that was all really engaging and, and really interesting. Now next year, we will celebrate the 75th anniversary of the Dominance Program. What it has meant to our grandparents, our parents, and what I think it can be to a new generation about to fall in love, start families, and hopefully accomplish great things for themselves. But the data shows that the personal status that is inextricably linked with giving and receiving diamond is giving way to a new concept of cultural status that fuels the decisions of millennial and Gen Z consumers, who together make up the largest diamond segment, buying segment in the world. We see the emergence of a redefinition of status. This new status is still an expression of who I am and of what I value. But what I value and what I want you to know about me has changed dramatically from my parents and my grandparents. The brands we purchase communicate the sort of person we are and what's important to us. De Beers recently commissioned a research firm, GlobeScan, to conduct research looking at global consumers and sustainability in natural diamonds. The research called more than 8,400 men and women in seven countries on issues related to consumer behavior and preferences in relation to sustainability in diamonds. The results, results showed a strong level of engagement with sustainability topics across many different types purchases, including diamonds. In the past five years, nearly 60% of all consumers and more than 80% of opinion leaders have chosen to buy a product made in a more environmentally or socially responsible way over another product. Consumers across all geographies also show clearly that when they choose a sustainable alternative, they are prepared to pay more for jewelry brands that invest in sustainability improvements beyond just compliance. And they found that about 85% of those willing to select the sustainable options are open to paying, on average, a premium of 15%. When it comes to environmental management, inclusion, ethics, social cohesion, some see real disruptive risks for our industry. But let's, let's talk straight for a second. Some come to cynical, outmoded storyline that brings new life into old tropes and seeks to destroy the livelihoods of thousands of hardworking men and women to differentiate their product and make a buck. We embrace the potential and the disruptive opportunity that the diamond industry has needed and is so well positioned to The disruptive opportunity not of sustainability but of purpose, of mission, and of meaning. 
we've shared and the the tidbits we we have from the show if you weren't able to make it and they announced the show dates for 22 back to june june 10th and i'm excited for the fourth quarter i think it's going to be another blockbuster season yeah all right so let's go that's that's next (laughs) okay all right take care bye thanks for listening to the jewelry district i'm natalie comet the producer of the podcast if you liked what you heard, please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast wherever you may listen. We hope you'll join us next time on The Jewelry District by JCK.